hairdresser and entrepreneur Michael Douglas joins me in this episode for a conversation that navigates risk, how to overcome obstacles, how to really forgive, and how to know when and how to apologize. There's this saying called the strength, uh, the weakness of your strengths, which is this very kind of weird paradoxical thing, which is you have these amazing strengths, but buried within them is all this weakness. I mean, I, I probably owe somebody an enormous apology, you know. Um, and I probably isn't a day goes by where I don't think about that. Um, but I, I can't think of a way of doing it that wouldn't make things worse. Truly, wholeheartedly believe the, the, the answer lies within you. Probably raising kids was probably the biggest challenge of all, you know, because you, you think that they're born a blank canvas and they're not. I think I lied quite a lot in the past. I lied to myself, I lied to other people, little lies, you know, just little things. And I thought, I'm not going to say what you want me to say because I don't agree with it. I don't get away with anything and neither does anybody else. So I think punishment is already out there taking place. So you should feel safe in the knowledge that if somebody's behaved appallingly, they will pay a price for it. I, I don't doubt that for a second. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. My guest today is the hairdresser and entrepreneur Michael Douglas. He is a hugely respected name in the beauty world, famed for his accessible and informative hair advice, and now his range of hair tools, MD London. Michael shared his beauty problem solvers on an Instagram Live with me recently, and his insights and tips on how to look after style and get the most out of hair have completely changed my approach to blow drying, the products I use, and crucially, the effect and looks I've been able to achieve. His advice was genuinely outstanding. And while we do talk about the usual suspects of risk and how to push your boundaries so you go beyond your comfort zone without freaking yourself out in this episode, we also stumbled across a few other topics and Michael's words have really stayed with me since our recording. We talked about how to apologise and how to receive an apology and we also talked about forgiveness and how to really forgive and not just say that you've forgiven someone. See if you can spot the moment when Michael talks about giving yourself a hard time. I haven't stopped thinking about that for weeks. And perhaps what's so pleasing about this conversation is that even though Michael and I have been in the same industry and have likely come into close proximity to each other many, many times over the years, we've only recently properly met, but I'm so glad we have. He is someone with whom you feel instantly comfortable. He's a great and thoughtful ear, and he is also an excellent guest in this episode. Well, welcome to the podcast, Michael Douglas. How are you? I'm extremely well, thank you. Yes, uh, I, I, I was drinking alcohol this weekend for the first time in a while. But it's now, what, Wednesday? Yeah. So I'm over it. <laughs> I, I feel good today. I don't Does drink it... very much because, as you know, my partner doesn't drink. So there's never really much booze floating about. Although I am a, I don't mind drinking. Mm. Um, but I did it this weekend. I was like, 
why does anybody do this? It's so horrible, isn't it? Ugh. Um, but I feel better now, and I'm really glad that I'm not drinking again now for another sort of two or three weeks or something. You know? Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's, it, I've definitely, I'm the same. I will have one drink, but I've just, I've, I've had enough experience now of very, very bad hangovers in my 30s and now 40s to just go, it's just not worth it. I like feeling oh. well. And I went up north and they just casually drink up north, you know, like, should we have a pint and a bag of crisps? I'm like, what, two o'clock? Yeah, sure. I'm like, you know, like they just drink beer whenever, you know, it's so weird. Anyway, I feel great today. Fantastic. I'm so glad. And so you, you and I have known, this is really funny. So you and I have known of each other for probably, Mm -hmm. I would say bang on 20 years, probably like have operated in the same circles, but it was probably we only really got to know each other very recently mm. yes. which i just find bizarre but it's just it the way bit... that it goes well i, I was contra well i worked for well for a long time which kind of kept me in a bubble if you like a weller bubble and unless you were you know i guess writing about those products i wouldn't necessarily come into contact with you you know so i was i was isolated for many many years and then i became kind of independent i guess about i don't know 15 20 years ago um where I, but I was still working for brands like Procter & Gamble and L'Oreal and stuff. So I was still slightly isolated where I guess you worked with more independent hairdressers and stuff like that. But um, but it is nice to finally get to know you. I know. And so you are like like one of the celebrity hairdressers. Like <laughs> the name has just been elevated for years because you're so good at what you do. And actually we, we met because I came to your office, uh, your studio uh, to pick up because we were doing a, an IG Live together. And you'd very kindly got the products in and I was in London and I was um, popped by and we had a lovely chat. Yes. I really, really really enjoyed it. But furthermore, when we then did the beauty problem solvers and you shared the products that you absolutely rely on, I'm just going to tell you now, they are probably my three most recommended products. (laughs) I am, I, they they are my, they're now like, they're, they're part of me. Your recommendations were amazing. That's, it's such a rewarding thing, that you know, I think the thing I like the most, I, you know, when I post something on Instagram, I always think, why am I posting this? What's the motivation? Is it like a narcissistic thing? Am I desiring likes? But actually, the thing I'm desiring most is for people to message me and say, I tried what you said. What a difference it's made. Thank you. I'm like, oh, my God, that is the nicest thing. So just hear you say that is, is, is reward, you know. Was right. that how you got into things originally? Because that must that must be an evolution <clears throat> on the journey. Yes, it was. Lockdown was uh, was one of those weird things where you know everybody was isolated from work. I couldn't do anybody's hair, so I couldn't really earn any money, which was a bit tricky. And then, of course, I was bored, you know. And what I've witnessed on Instagram was lots of hairdressers who were obviously experts in hair, teaching people to bake cakes and stuff. You know, like everybody went like they started doing pottery and stuff stuff like that I just think pizza express were teaching people how to make pizzas wagamamas were teaching people how to make their dishes but hairdressers were teaching people how to bake cakes and stuff I was just like so weird you know why isn't hairdressers helping people with their hair and of course it was born out of fear because they thought well if people do their hair at home they won't come to the hair salon so everybody Mm -hmm. shut down which is the which was a kind of ludicrous way to think about things you know but I just thought, oh, do you know what? I don't own a hair salon. It's not a big deal for me. I'll go online and help people with their hair because that's my area of expertise. 
And the overwhelming love I got in return for doing that was unbelievable. A lot of hate from hairdressers. They, re- I mean, they really doubled down on me, you know, and I got an enormous amount of hate for that. But I realized in the end that everybody I helped largely messaged me and said, oh, you know, can we get an appointment with you when salons open again? <laughs> I thought yeah. I don't have a salon, you know. But what I realized is afterwards, I could have opened probably about 50 salons all over the country and filled them nonstop for about six months. Because once you help somebody, they want to, pay you back you know yeah yeah so it's funny okay yeah so it was an evolution of that really you said said something people liked it and you thought oh that's so nice being able to help people well I opened the show and I asked people to tell me about their relationship with risk and in in regard to that I would have thought that you wouldn't have thought there would have been any risk to (laughs) your reputation or to your standing within the industry to offer advice on how to look after trim style your hair when hairdressing salons were unfortunately closed down for obvious reasons but actually that must have you must look back and think oh that kind of bit me on the ass yeah so I did this thing where I went live on the one show because I was a one show face for about 12 years on that show you know once or twice a week so it wasn't like I shouldn't have been there I was there all the time so I was one of their regular kind of reporters they said come on the show for three or four minutes and just tell people how they can look after their hair at home with the stuff from the supermarket. Now, I'd worked for nice and easy for about 20 years, so I knew all about home hair colorants and and largely how good they were, actually. Uh, As long as you use them correctly, they work really well. Um, And then various other things like how to trim a fringe or how to do a skin fade if you're cutting your kid's hair or something. And I tried to take the sting out of it by saying, look, it's it's not that difficult to do this and we're all locked down for a bit. So it doesn't matter how, what you look like for the next few months, you can color your hair at home. You can cut your kid's hair and you can trim your own fringe. Um, And actually what I said was that the stuff that's in the boxes on the supermarket shelves is the same stuff that you get in the hair salon. It works in the same way, which is true. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I came off uh, live, you know, and what's interesting about that is you did it from your kitchen bit like this via zoom but to a black screen you didn't get to you don't get to see the studio of the one show or anything like that so it's just a black screen and you can hear alex jones and you can hear the other person but you don't get to see anything you know so it was a quite a weird thing you know you you nothing to bounce off you know so i said this thing and then i went on instagram twitter and there was just a barrage of absolute hate and kind of reputation destruction and discrediting me and trying to ruin my reputation and all that stuff and it was just nonstop. And then my kids started getting messages. And basically hairdressers had just kind of doubled down and said, what this guy said, as in me, wasn't true and actually should not be trusted. He's no respect in the industry. And he doesn't know what he's talking about and all the rest. <laughs> it's just like, oh. and these were friends as well, people that I knew. That's you know? so rough. So it, it, it didn't stop as well. It just kept coming. And it was one of those areas where you think, God, do I just apologize? And I got, I got big into psychology and read a few psychology books. And I was listening to people like Jordan Peterson and stuff like that on YouTube. And, you know, one of the things was, if you've not done anything wrong, don't apologize. You mustn't do that. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so I do feel bad because and, and all these people are, can't all be wrong. Maybe I have done something wrong, you know, so I was really trying to work out what to do. So the following day, I made I put out a kind of statement where I said, look, I'm not going to apologize for saying the things I said, because then they are true. And the fact that hairdressers don't like that box dyes exist is not my fault. <laughs> you know, like I don't make box dyes, you know, but the truth is 
Weller make hair color for salons and they also make hair color for the box dye. And those two things aren't massively different. They are pretty much the same. The fact that you don't like that, don't take it out on me, you know. Mm. So I did, I said, my apology was about t- timing rather than the things I said was the time I said it, you know. And a lot of people took that on the chin. It was quite nice, but a lot of people didn't. And it just went on and on and on. So it was a proper, it was a proper feeling of cancellation. Two of my people that I worked with pulled out of me you know big big clients decided they didn't want to work with me anymore i have never been on the one show since um you know they they just stopped using me after that because they got 480 complaints Ofcom got 320 complaints or something like that which is a big deal you know considering jeremy clarkson was the next person who was being complained about as much as me you know so it was terrifying really but um i just decided to stand my ground with it really and thought well I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't lie. And I, I, I actually, I'm here to help people with their mm. hair, not help hairdressers. Hairdressers, I've got this enormous support network within that industry. And I now saw myself outside of that industry and, and think, well, let's be the guy who helps people with their hair, you know. So in the midst of that, like, chaotic, terrifying moment, at the centre of it became my purpose, <laughs> which was a really weird thing to happen and I've had several experiences like that since where in the middle of the worst thing you find the best thing you know oh, interesting. Um, yeah yeah something paradoxical about life is what I've discovered over the last few years is that in the middle of all the bad stuff is the good stuff you know um and if you let it in entirely out it comes you know I know that sounds a bit hippy dippy but there's something something in it you know, and I found that with raising kids as well, is that in the most terrifying thing of raising children, which is usually something centered around mental health problems or self-harm or something like that, is to walk into the scariest bit of it. And right in the center of that is the solution of it. Um, so I learned an enormous amount about myself, about society, about life, about the whole cancel culture idea. And, and I became amazingly kind of more courageous and brave as a result of it I think and um it was the best thing and worst thing that ever happened (laughs) yeah I mean there's so much to unpack there because I think first of all I I think that sometimes when you're having bad things happen to you you simply cannot see you can't flip it you can't see it from another perspective you get tunnel vision so I'm curious if you so remember that moment where you were able to just move out of the eye of the storm and yeah. see it from a distance and whether yes. that was the moment? It was. And it, I've, worked, I've thought about it quite a lot and, and had other experiences, like I said, over the last few years. And there's something about having the courage to surrender to it, whatever it is, you know. And it's a very weird thing because surrender requires weakness and courage is about strength. And there is, there's this saying called the strength, uh, the weakness of your strengths, which is this very kind of weird paradoxical thing, which is you have these amazing strengths, but buried within them is all this weakness. Um, and um, they serve you well in one area, but are terrible for you in others. Um, I've gone slightly off on a tangent, but, but there's something in the idea that you need to have the courage to stop. Mm. Um and I've realized that surrendering to the thing is what is then what creates the vision for for this 
rebirth or something like that. All sounds a bit psychedelic, but um, it, it's it's something about having the courage to surrender, you know, to it. Well, I think with those situations, the reason I'm asking you about it so specifically is because I think when you when something like that happens, you can think about what if what what if I done this differently? Why have people reacted like this? And you're sort of analyzing and spending your time on the thing that has already happened as opposed to the present moment mm. and what you yeah, can there's do something, now. something very strange a lot of people live in the future and they live in the past you know so you think about the past a lot and you think about the future a lot but it, it, it's something in the moment it's very hard to do that which is why meditation and stuff like that's so important is to try and like be present be at one you know all that kind of all that hippie dippy language stuff but there's something in it that's really crucial to finding the answer to, to to your problem. And the other thing I found is the answer to all of your problems are buried inside you, you know. That then then ne- nobody nobody else has got the answer to your problem. You have, you know. And um I really, really learned that. That actually you search deep enough, hard enough, far enough, with the right kind of mindset, it's all there, you know. I 100% agree to you. And actually, I've just recorded a, a mini show about this, about how we have, we have in the cult, in our culture, in the last, I would say, 10 years specifically, we have, there has been a massive trend to elevate gurus. And these, ele- these gurus are elevated on social media. Mm. Not necessarily because, and you can think about somebody topical that I'm thinking about at the moment, but you, we elevate them because they sound good, they look good, other people who we think are cool follow them. And so we suddenly put them into this incredible position of they've got the answer. So if I just do what they do, my life yeah. will be the same. And you're really not doing yourself any, you're not helping yourself because no. you need to be your own guru. Totally agree, and I think you can draw you can draw on all these different people on Instagram. And think, well, that's an interesting idea. I've never thought about that. You can apply it to your own life for a bit, see if it works. If it doesn't, it's not for you. You find find something else. But but yeah, I truly wholeheartedly believe the the, the answer lies within you. It's not within somebody else. There's a great line in that Baz Luhrmann song, "Wear Sunscreen," mm. which is, I don't know if you know anything about that song. It was actually written by a woman. The words were written as an opinion piece for a, a, an article in the the Chicago Tribune. So it's not written by a man, although it's voiced by a man. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's a speech from MIT, the class of 98 or something like that. And it's not that at all. All that's been made up. It's actually an opinion piece written by a woman. And when you read it, you realise it's the words of a woman because it talks about beauty magazines and looking fat and things like that. And men wouldn't have ever really talked like that. Mm. There's a great bit in the, the final line, which, which is that something about uh, be careful whose advice you take. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Um, it's the way of picking out the past from the waste disposal, wiping off the dirt and selling it for more than it's worth. And there's something about people offering you advice. It's like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. like, yes. The advice I need is like, got to come from me and my own experiences because it only relates to me, you know. Were you always, was it recently, was it because of experiences like that that you were able to, find the answers within you did you where did you used to look for answers prior prior to that because I think we all go on this journey some of Mm. us figure it out sooner than later but do you when did it happen for you probably probably raising kids was probably the biggest challenge of all you know because you you think that they're born a blank canvas and they're not they're born with already pre-built personalities in inside them so you're you're constantly having to kind of work out how to make that personality um, do what you want it to do 
And ultimately what you realize is that, no, you need the personality to do what it wants to do, mm. but in a safe way, you know. So there was something about letting go of your children from quite an early age and allowing them to, to broaden out within the confines of safety and everything, you know. Um, so I think I probably learned it through raising kids, um, I think, was to, was to try and let go, realise that they're not my kids, they're their kids. Mm. And as, a, and as, as they get older, you, you have to remove yourself more and more from their lives, which is the scariest thing you could ever do, but also the most rewarding thing you could ever do. Because once they realise that they achieve something all on their own merit, like you know, your heart explodes with joy. You realise that it's their joy that you're in love with, you know, and it's it's nothing to do with me. You know, I haven't helped them do that. They did it, you know. Mm -hmm. So as they get older, you know, I, I just, there's more and more in that that I think that I, I realised. How, how old are the kids now? Uh, 20 and 18 um, in the next month. And uh, we've just been, uh, it was, I was up north with them for the weekend. We do a trip to the Lake District every weekend where we go kind of mountain biking, zip lining, wake surfing, and just do lots of kind of adventurous, crazy stuff, you know. And um, it's just a great way to, again, let go a bit of, of your fear and try and do something mad, you know. Uh, so we've just done, the three of us have just done that this weekend. And God, it's just the happiest thing I could ever do. You know, it's just a joy, you know. We get on so well, the three of us. Um, and I think one of the reasons we do that is because I, I let go of them to a certain extent, you know. Um, Did you, yeah. are you at that phase now, given their age? I was chatting to a friend last night at a dinner who has children exactly the same age, 20 and 18, and is sort of, was was a little bit delicate about empty nest syndrome and was just sort of feeling like it's really, yeah. it feels like a massive change in my life. But then I also feel like I'm still young and I've yeah. got, I, it's almost like I'm getting a second phase at life, except I know way more than I did. I've got more money than I had last time I had this kind of freedom, yeah. if you like. Are you going through that? Yes. I had this theory, uh, and I talked about this, I've got two really good friends who've just had babies. It's so weird, like, to be 50 and then having friends that are having babies, but it's quite a few of them uh, going on. My theory is that um, the reason it's so hard to raise kids, or one of the reasons it's so hard, is that you're you're endlessly grieving what they were and having to get used to what they are now. So they kind of almost die being a baby and then they're reborn as a toddler. And you have to slightly grieve that they're no longer a baby and never will be ever again, you know. Mm -hmm. Then they become a toddler, you've got to get used to that. And then they die being a toddler and then they're reborn as a child. You've got to grieve the idea that you'll, you'll never be a toddler. You know, so there's this endless thing. So... I am absolutely in a state of grief at the moment <laughs> that they are gone, you know, and I'm having to get used to this new relationship. But there's so much joy in the new relationship that it, it somehow kind of mitigates the grief, you know. But mm. there are days where I absolutely, you know, if Apple do that thing where they got Apple memories on your iPad and they throw up a picture from four years ago and it's like, oh, like I would do anything to go back you know but I'd also do anything to go forward it's um it's something something mad about the whole thing so yeah you're in a permanent state of grief and excitement like like Jesus <laughs> so uh but yeah empty nesting so my eldest son's just about to move out and move in with his partner and um that, that's so weird that his bedroom will no longer be his bedroom you know just getting my head around that's mad um but it's all part of the rich tapestry of life, isn't it? I always think, look, when I die, all I want to know is, did I have a good go at life? You know, 
and um, feeling upset and feeling afraid is just all part of that. I want to I want to know that happiness wasn't the only important feeling. That fear and anger and feeling afraid and all that are equally as important as being happy. You know, mm. I want to make sure I get them all. You know. It's funny, this week has been a really sad week in the beauty industry because we we lost somebody, a yeah. lo- lovely friend of mine, uh, Euchenna. And I was, it's been this really weird, I don't know if you've had a similar situation where you just sort of think, right, I've got to focus on the important things, which is spending time with my friends. And you, you suddenly, and in your head, you think about how life will look if you weren't shackled by all the stuff that weighs you down. And then half an hour later, you think, but I do have to keep a roof over my head. So I have to, I have to be involved in all of those stresses and all of those worries because life just isn't rainbows, parties and high kicking mm. all the time. And I've sort of gone, I've, I've been dabbling with that this week. Help me with that. Like, oh, how, uh, how oh, do you find that balance? <laughs> it's funny because obviously my partner is a desirable person. So we got an enormous amount of invitations to see people and um, lots of dinners and events and all sorts of stuff. And we've often said we have to stop saying yes to all these things because we are shattered and we have to only say yes to the things we really want to do and the people we really want to spend time with. And we often get double bookings, you know, so we'll get one set of friends saying, will you come to this? And one set of friends that say, will you come to that? You know, on the same night. And um, we, we, we'll sit on the edge of the bed or in a chair and we'll say, okay, let's ask ourselves privately, you know, what should we do tonight? Who do we go and see? And then we both shut our eyes and then open them and then say, and we always say the same thing. It's mad. Um, because the answer of what to do is, or you already know what to mm. do. <laughs> and the problem is, is that, you know, you're the naughty side of you or whatever talks you out of it. But yeah. the first answer is always the answer. And it was like, I'm going to change the names for for, for obvious reasons, but yeah, so it's Jason and Sienna, you know. And they say, "Do we go to Jason's or do we go to Sienna's?" And then shut our eyes, and then we both open and go, "Peter's or, or <laughs> somebody else, or, or Jason's or whatever," you know. Like, uh, and we instantly know you you know what to do. So, um, the worst thing you can do at that point then is go, "Yeah, but what about Sienna?" It's like, no, no, no. The answer's been made. Yeah, you do that, you know. So, and we've also said, look, we've got to just start spending time with people that we really, really love and want to spend time with, and we're going to have to just kind of sacrifice a lot for other people because otherwise, you just do yourself harm, don't you? Do yourself an injury, and you know when you should stay in and not go out, and you know when you should go to work, and you know the jobs you should say yes to, and you say, I've been offered a really big job in November, a lot of money. And I do not want to do it. Oh. And on paper, I should definitely do it. But when I sit down and say, should I do this job? My whole being and my whole conscience is saying, you know you don't want to do this job. Don't do it. Is it your so, whole being and your whole conscience? Or is it 30 years of experience that's just saying? Well, it's, it's, I think it's the same thing because, right. you know, your, your, your conscience knows a lot more than you do, you know. Yeah. So it, it it's saying, don't do it. You know, you know, you don't want to do it. It's going to be a bloody nightmare. Or um, 
you, you know, the, the money's neither here nor there. You don't really need the money. You've got your own business to concentrate on, like, give it up. But for 30 years, I've been saying yes to those jobs. So it's hard to say no. But I think when you know, you know, if you listen to yourself properly, you know, mm. the answer comes, you know. So I try and I try and respect that process, you know, and it, it seems yeah. to work. It keep, keeps me a lot happier, that's for sure, you know. You say about, well, you know, when you need to stay in, um, I was just thinking there just to be very, very honest with you. When I, when I'm struggling, there will be little signs. And one of them is that I stop going out and I don't realize that I'm stopping going out. Okay. But I, um, will be like, oh, I have to go to this thing and then I will cancel and I will have a great reason because, oh, I, I should really do some research, but actually it's because there's almost like, I, it's not agoraphobia, but it almost is like it shows up as a whisper of it if I just get yeah. a little bit apprehensive about going out. And it sounds so daft, but there are there are days sometimes where I've like, oh, I need an office day, I need an office day. And then I get halfway through the day and I think, you're hiding from something, like you're not 100%. And yes. it's actually, t- and so what I will do is I will make myself go out and go to something like the cinema. Yeah. Or go and run some errands, or but I will or go for a drive to break the... Because it's almost Cycle. like I can't control it. And so it's like, yeah, stay inside. Let's hide. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hide you from the world. Yes, it, it is interesting uh, that because you can lie to yourself quite quickly about what you're up to. And you also start to tell little lies to other people. They well, I can't come out tonight. I've got to do a bit of research. And actually, you don't have to do a bit of research. You're just saying, I don't want to go out tonight. So I, mm-hmm. I, over the last five or six years, I've tried very hard to never lie at all. So if I don't want to go out, I say to the person, uh, you know, I know you'd love me to come out tonight, but I'm, I'm, I just don't want to come out tonight. <laughs> just say that. And there's something about telling the truth that is so good. And you let go of, obviously, you have to let go of other people's feelings to a certain extent. Yeah. But if you, if you never lie, you don't have to remember what you've said ever. You don't have to think about what did I say to this person Anyway, and, and your conscience becomes so clear and then so accurate in its in its ability to help you. Yeah. So if I don't want to go out and I don't want to explain why I don't want to go out, I just say, hey, it would be great tonight, but I'm just not up for it. I'm not going to come out. Have a great night. I'll see you next time. No that's lies. So, that's so funny because you're reminding me about a time a few years ago where I was really like screwing up my diary and I was, again, it was the thing, there were... For me, it was showing up as I was struggling to go out and a, and I had sort of let a friend down timing wise. And she said, oh, no, Emma, the thing that I'm cross about isn't about the fact that you didn't. Cu- I'm, I'm cross that you fibbed. And it was yeah. the fact that she used the word fibbed. I know it's slightly <laughs> trivialized. Me. It makes it worse all at the same time, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. So this, making the decision not to lie, just be 100 percent honest. Yes, all but, you, know, you know, within within reason, you know, but, but certainly I, I, my theory was I, I, I think I lied quite a lot in the past. Uh, I lied to myself, I lied to other people, little lies, you know, just little things. But I think what happens is your conscience starts to become corrupted in some way and it doesn't guide you particularly well. But if mm. you tell the truth all the time, your conscience has a very accurate um, picture or map of you. And I yeah. think it can. It, it guides you much more clearly. I think since I decided to to really try and practice that for five years or so, I have never felt more free, more liberated, more happy. And um, I remember someone the other day said, I was on a flight recently and this woman, uh, and she said, 
wasn't me that was on the flight, actually. It was somebody else um, that they told me the story. And I said, can I just stop you? Like, I am so proud that you did that. And she said, really? And I said, yes, because you're trying to pass the story off as yours and you slightly knew it wasn't your story. And then you readjusted yourself. And that is the thing. It's that kind of lie that trips you up. It's like, it's not your story. And you don't have to pretend it's your story. Just say, someone told me this story. And it's like, oh, you know, just some weight goes off you, you know, and it's just brilliant. So I've tried really hard that when people ask me a question, I try and be as precise and accurate about the answer as possible. And if I don't know the answer, whatever it is, it could be to do with hair or to do with what I did last week or whatever, I just say, I honestly don't know, or I can't remember, you know. Um, but wow, has that made a massive impact on my mental health and my ability to feel happy, free, and all of that stuff, you know. I'm bursting with excitement because I want to say that actually I know that for years and years and years, especially in my younger years in my career, and I regret this, I never wanted to be wrong. And so I would... argue that black was white because I didn't want to show that I got something wrong and obviously that makes you a bit of a prick in the workplace (laughs) basically like like you a few years ago I just thought if I don't know I'm going to say I don't know and if someone comes on this podcast Mm. and they say something and they assume that I will know but I don't know I'm not going to do what I did in the past and not because that way I never learn so I say not only and I do it and I'm like for anyone who's listening who might not understand that (laughs) or I'll say (laughs) actually I don't know what that is it's so brilliant to just be able to go I don't know and if someone says you know that you idiot you just think well who's the idiot now (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah there was something i read somewhere that said in 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 an argument if you win you lose and i, I love that idea that winning an argument is not not necessarily a, a good thing to do having a discussion where you both kind of get something out of it even if you disagree at the end is just fantastic like yeah. everything should be everything should every discussion you have you should learn something shouldn't you, you should take a little nugget away with you but i didn't really know that or I'll research that when I get home and see what I think, you know. But I never, yeah, I, I, this whole idea that if you win an argument, somehow you lose something, you lose something in yourself or nobody seems to learn anything, you know, just think, don't need to win. That's need very to true. And if you look on social media, I know everything comes back to social media, but if you look at the way that we debate now, it really is about one-upmanship as opposed to healthy debate sharing ideas, which is Mm. very interesting. Um, I do want to go back to the terrible thing that happened to you when you got cancelled, because there were two more things that I want to unpick from there. One of them is um, about apologies, because I thought it was really interesting what you said about... I wasn't going to apologize because I wasn't sorry for what I said, but I wanted to acknowledge, was it acknowledge that what I said might have caused a reaction in people and it was that reaction that you were sorry for? Yes. And, you know, I went back and said, look, I I perhaps, because I only had three and a half minutes on TV, you you didn't get to say, oh, let's not forget about hairdressers. You know, they're important and they're suffering. I just didn't have a time to say any of that. Perhaps I was, um, it was, yeah. So I, I, I think, the apology was about a timing issue and the mm. fact that I hadn't caveated it with anything and I hadn't give a full explanation of anything. So I, I was sorry that, that I'd that I'd said this quite insensitive thing at, mm. an, at a very insensitive time. But I was clear to say that I'm not apologising for what these companies are doing where they're mm. making products at both ends of the, of the market. You know, that, that's just something that's happening. And it's not a big deal. You know, like not everyone can go and get their hair colored at the salon. They can't afford it. And they haven't got the time and they're not that bothered. You know, like mm. 
So I wasn't going to get into a, you know, what, what I didn't want to do, which I was being forced to do, was to be a mouthpiece for other people's idea. Mm. And I thought, I'm not going to say what you want me to say because I don't agree with it. You know, So that was it. What they wanted me to say is, actually, box dyes are terrible for your hair. Please don't use them. Wait till the hairdressers get open. And I thought, no, no, no. What I want to say is box dyes are fine to use. Read the instructions. If you need some help, ask Ask the company or ask me and I'll do my best to help you um, or ask your hairdresser and say, should I, you know, could I use this and could I use that? Mm. They're safe to use. A number six is a number six, whether you're putting your hair in the salon or, or using, you know, Garnier or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal, you know, like blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I, I, I wanted to acknowledge people's uh, that they were upset and they were stressed about their businesses. But I wasn't going to apologize just because they wanted me to. It was, you know. And I was scared to death about that. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And I've I, I've archived the post I did, actually. You could come. Maybe I won't archive it so people can go back and have a look at it. I think it was about the 20, 20th of March, tw- like 2019, maybe, was it, when we shut down? Or 2020. 2020 yeah. 2020. That was like the day, I think, like as, yeah. it, as it happened, yeah. And then it would have been the 21st, I, I put that. And then one of my clients asked me to remove it. And I said, no, I'm not. when I say my clients, you know, a, a big brand and said, mm-hmm. you remove what you've said. And I said, no, because I thought I'm not a mouthpiece for you either. You know, mm-hmm. it's my bloody career on the line. And, you know, I, I'll I'll take full responsibility of what I say and what I do, you know, but I'm being kind of shoehorned around by everybody else. You know, um, that was brilliant. It was a bloody brilliant. When I look back at it, you know, it, it's why I'm here, you know. Yeah. It makes me makes me want to ask you about apologies though, because I think I think they are very interesting and a little bit like saying I don't know or I was wrong, which we'll come on to later. I think apologies are really hard to give and also to receive. And I wondered and also I've been apologized to in the past and it made the situation worse. (laughs) Yeah. Well you you're giving giving, somebody's getting off the hook, aren't they? You know. That's doesn't exactly make it right. It. Doesn't say sorry. Yeah. Is there a good way to give an apology to apologize or is there a good way to receive an apology? We'll be right back after this short break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Yeah. Is there a good way to give an apology to apologize or is there a good way to receive an apology? I mean, I, I probably owe somebody an enormous apology, you know, um, and I it probably isn't a day goes by where I don't think about that. Um, but I, I can't think of a way of doing it that wouldn't make things worse. Um, so I've yet, I've yet to do it. But I think there will become an appropriate time where it will be sufficient and it will be, you know, the right thing to do. But it just isn't yet. I think one of the things uh, that we have a problem with uh, at the moment, you know, in society is the, um, the, the overwhelming impatience that people have to resolve things. And I've found some of the greatest resolutions took a long time to, to sort themselves out. And they required um, the ability to do nothing in order to resolve it. Um, so I think people want very quick, a quick resolve on it, you know, and actually there is no quick resolve. It requires a lot of time, a lot of thinking, a bit of distance, a um, bit of perspective, and then maybe it might take two years, might take 10 years or whatever, and then the resolution comes. But the, the, I can't remember there was something else I'd read that was this idea that the idea that you are the person that will make things better is extremely slim. And the idea that you are the person that makes things worse is highly probable. So sometimes the best thing you can do is to find the strength to do nothing. Mm. and just play out so yeah i think the apology comes uh, the reason apologies don't work is they're too soon and too fast and um they require a lot more time you know for things to s resolve yeah That's i fine. mean yeah and i think sometimes the, the apology i'm referring to it was somebody who wanted who wanted it to evaporate who mm. wanted what had happened yeah. to evaporate oh wait yeah yeah and that was that wasn't going to happen and so actually mm. it just irked me a bit more it was like well i i it has been years i have come i have made peace with what happened but now how long, how long ago was this so it was actually it was eight and a half years between incident and apology and i was like oh, oh okay. i'm i'm really i'm like thank you so much and obviously i accepted it pri publicly or to to them but privately i thought actually that's really churned it all up again for me because it didn't okay. resolve it for me they got their closure but i didn't yeah, it actually, but did. yeah but you got this something about that you have to own that don't you yeah. you know that is yours yeah um, and it's it's hard because you want somebody to remove it mm. um yeah it takes takes quite a bit of work up doesn't it you know I'm not going to make you feel better about what you did. Yeah, yeah. I can only work on how I feel about all of it. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a saying, I think it's in NA or AA, which is uh, your feelings are none of my business. Mm. And um, I found that quite helpful uh, when I have feelings towards somebody else that are perhaps a bit angry or whatever, is that mm. I think they are mine and I have they're none of their business and I have to do something about that, you know. Um but yeah, it's bloody hard, I think. Relationships are tricky. The most complicated thing in the world is a human being. And then when you <laughs> stick two together, there's nothing more complicated than that, you know.
So, it is uh, like a science experiment, isn't it? You just even have to go to a party and just take a few steps back and you look at people like bouncing off each other like electrons and you're like, you see some really positive energy, you see some quite negative energy. It's just, you're absolutely right. So complicated. So, so complicated. And, and the fact that you don't even understand yourself particularly well, yet you t make loads of judgments on understanding other people. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Um. So the final thing I wanted to unpick about that story before we move on is yes. about forgiveness, because you did have people say things publicly. And as soon as you said that, I was like, I actually think I saw a post on Facebook. So people were not shy, people who you knew, people in the industry who I'm guessing that you had friendships with, but also had yeah. professional respect for, said things publicly about you that were not favorable. Um, mm. How did you make peace with that? Have you forgiven them? Yes, I, I think I think I felt forgiven uh, at some point by them. I went to a couple of industry events and a lot of people came to say hello. There was quite a few people scathing at me, you know, but I didn't, I didn't really care about that that much. But look, there was quite a few people that came up and said, I was risk, risky what you went through, wasn't it? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's all, it's all fine. Um, and then the whole thing seemed to blow away. And I think a lot of people recognised that they went slightly mad through that period and then they felt a bit ashamed about the way they behaved, um, thought about perhaps what, what that might have been like for them. So there was a level of forgiveness there. Um, and I think it was going back to what I said earlier, there was enough time had passed, I think, for people to perhaps reflect a little bit on what that was like. They didn't lose their business. Um, certainly didn't lose it as a result of a box die, you know. And I, I, I think there was something about the reality kind of set in is that if you own a hair salon and you specialize in color and you think your competition is a box dye on the Sainsbury shelf, you are not very good at your job, you know? And I, I think there was a sense of that, that that popped into it. But there was one particular hairdresser who really tried to take me out in a really quite a, a bad way. And he was quite famous and he had a big platform, much bigger than mine at the time. I only had about 5,000 followers. He had about 40,000 which, you know, relatively wise, was a, was a much bigger difference. And he got everybody to pile on top of me. And very weirdly now, we, although we've never actually met, we've had a, a very lovely relationship formed over Instagram. And we've both got uh, brands uh, in the consumer world, ironically. Um, and we are working together very closely and helping each other. And it's just something very sweet about that, that there's absolutely no resentment from me, nothing from them. And um, we are now supporting each other in this, this funny journey, even though we've never actually spoken to each other publicly since then. Um, it's We're helping each other on Instagram and reposting things of each other and everything. And I think, well, it's great. You know, like, I bear no grudges to anybody. You know, like, mm. this, is a, this is a very, very lovely, lovely thing that seems to have been born out of it. Um, so, um, so the forgiveness bit is easy for me. Like, I don't have any, I can... I don't think I've, there's anybody I haven't forgiven, you know. Is there anybody I haven't forgiven? No, like, I, I just don't hold on to any of it, you know. I'm going to um, ask you, because I'm sure, like, there's a there's a small part of me, and I'm sure there's listeners thinking, you who are going to be thinking a phrase that you used earlier, which is, but aren't you just letting people off the hook? And I think that's where I've always really struggled with forgiveness. It's like, if I, if I do that thing where... I release my anger because it's only harming me. It's not harming you. I'm like, I really want to be that person. I really want to get there, <laughs> but I don't want to let you off the hook because you, yeah, you screwed me, you bastard. So yeah. I, I, that's so I'm so I'm not as evolved as I would like to say. 
<laughs> well, one, one of the things that, I, that I'm familiar with is the idea that nobody ever gets away with anything. That's oh. my thing. Nobody. Go on. Um, I think they either beat themselves up over it or it comes back to get them. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the very famous narcissistic character that's being taken apart at the moment in the media um, um, is, a, is a good example of that because he did behave appallingly in the past. And, um, you know, I've been in many dressing rooms with him uh, and all sorts of stuff. And I could not stand the guy ever. And I thought, Christ, I hope one day this comes back to bite you on the arse, you know. Uh, and I've no doubt he's tortured himself over the years and he's been living in fear for a very long time. And now it's all, all coming out to bite him. So that's one example of it. Mm. But um, I don't get away with anything and neither does anybody else. So I think punishment is already out there taking place. So you should feel safe in the knowledge that if somebody's behaved appallingly, they will pay a price for it. I, I don't doubt that for a second. Um, and there's lots of fantastic novels and books and all sorts of, whether they're fiction or whether they're fact, where that is that is absolutely crystal clear and plain to see. Nobody gets away with anything, that's what I think. Mm. Um, so although you might not feel that there's sufficient payback, it is going on. You should feel reassured that it's going on. It's funny. I sent a message to a friend last week saying, as I saw a picture of an ex-boyfriend and I was like, I want retribution. I want retribution. And there's a much bigger story that I won't go into. And, and she wrote back, she's like, babe, you're living your retribution. And I was like, okay, I changed my answer. I want penance. I want him in tears. I want him begging. Wow. And she was like, yeah, you need to evolve. There's there's a th there's a thing on Netflix called Stutz. I don't know if you've seen seen that or not, but it's um, Stutz uh, S T U Z, and okay. um, he's he's a psychoanalyst. You know, he's um, you know, a therapist. It's the Jonah Hill film. It's the Jonah Hill yeah. thing. Yeah. Now I'd highly recommend uh, you watch this. I, we recommended this on our podcast a few times to people because I think there is stuff in there. Um, he's in his eighties, I would say, Stutz, and he's been a therapist for a very long time, a psychoanalyst, fully qualified. You know, really good and had an enormous amount of experience and obviously he's treated Jonah Hill you can think what you like about Jonah Hill but it's not about him it's about mm. this guy's philosophy and ideas around how to help people with their crisis whatever it is and he's got a, he's got a great one on in there about um forgiveness and about letting letting go of perhaps somebody who's betrayed you badly somebody you really dislike somebody you really want bad things to happen to he, he talks about a technique in there and uh, I, I really loved it and I've practiced it oh. uh, with people I need to I need to let go of, you know, and I found it very, very helpful. But um, one of the things he talks about there really is that when people come to a therapist and I, I went into therapy for briefly for a while and I didn't find it massively helpful for me. But um, he said, you know, what most therapists do is they listen to you until you resolve your problems. And I think mm. that's but actually you can do that with a good friend or something like that you don't need to pay for that but he said it's not good enough that he said you need to leave this office with help with something helpful um so he said that that's that's what i do you walk out this office with some little cards that i've drawn some pictures on and some ideas and stuff like that and he says you if you do the things i tell you to do you will feel 70 to 80 percent better almost straight away and i was like fuck that's so good isn't it you know like that's what people want. They just want to feel a bit better. And he has things in there that he says, do this, do this, do this. 
you'll feel better. And I think he's absolutely right about those things. There's nothing revolutionary about them. But the one about letting go of somebody who's wronged you, I thought was really good. And you can't just do it once and it all works. You have mm. to do it a lot. But it's about love and all sorts of things. But it's it's really good. And it's a really interesting exercise that you think, fuck, can I do that and think that about this person who's wronged me so badly? You know, and you think, yeah, we'll do it and see what happens, you know. I do do that thing. Not that, not that this is a particularly current problem. It's just when I was thinking about these particular topics. But I've done that thing where I've thought about those people and I thought, I wish you nothing but I wish you nothing but good. I, yeah. And try to do and and try to do that. And I do, I do try to flip my brain so that if they pop into my head or whatever, I'm like, I wish you well. Yeah, yeah. Our story is over. I wish you well. It's tough, man. It's tough. It is. <laughs> really, right. really, yeah. I'm going to watch this after this. So um, let's switch gears a little bit because I'm yep. curious about, because it's, oh, I mean, I've already learned so much, but I'm now thinking, so you've been this incredible celebrity hairstylist for years who's working with these huge brands like Weller, been on the circuit, traveling around the world, working with all of these huge, huge names. And then you're like, I know I'm going to seek investment and I'm going to start my own business and I'm just going to make my life a little bit harder to potentially make it massively better. Yeah. <laughs> was that the thought process? Yes, it was. I think <laughs> when I left the world of professional hairdressing, worked in consumer products, I went to work for Procter & Gamble, I worked for L'Oreal and Coty and stuff like that. I had a vision that I would, I mean, this sounds, I mean, we're going back to when I was like 27, 28, but I thought I'll become famous. I'll become really good at my job. I'll launch a business yeah, I'll live happily ever after. That that was kind of the plan, you know. So I got myself a TV show, the first thing I did. So I met a TV producer and I said, look, I want to be like the Jamie Oliver of hair. Put me on TV. I'll, I'll do this whole thing, you know. Um, thought that would be easy, but it was a bloody hard work. But I thought the first thing was to become very well known, you know. Nikki Clark had done Anthea Turner's hair. I'm not sure how old you are, but I don't even remember how famous Anthea Turner was in the 90s. But she was the biggest paid female TV presenter ever in the history of British TV. She was massive and everybody wanted her hair. And Nikki Clark was her hairdresser. Until Snowflake. Until the Cadbury Snowflake incident. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was probably one of the first cancellations of our generation. Really, wasn't ever. It? It's huge. Oh. If you don't know what that is, when Anthea Turner's wedding was covered by OK Magazine, they were sponsored by Flake and they had Snowflake, which is a white chocolate flake. God, now my mouth is watering. It's literally just... Ooh, me too. <laughs> Um, it was seen as being I mean when you when you judge it next to what goes on today it's laughable that it had the reaction that it did but it was seen as just the most distasteful thing that had ever happened and I mean her career was impacted but yes yeah, sorry her hair yeah so Nicky Clark had done her hair and he was the most famous hairdresser in the world arguably and he had the most famous client so one of my other things was get a famous client with desirable hair and then you're, you're the guy who did it. So I had this, I had a plan, you know. And very weirdly, I bumped into Davina around that time and we shot a hair commercial and she asked me to be a hairdresser and her hair became amazingly desirable, you know. So it was quite weird that things had fallen into place. And just so you just so you know, like I, med I used to meditate on this stuff. I used to ask the universe for this kind of stuff, do a bit of meditation, and then weirdly it would kind of land on me. Now that couldn't be a coincidence, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not a great well, believer this is in like this is like early stages manifestation before manifestation was a thing. Yes. And me and her talk about this a lot. She's a manifester as well. She's She wants something. <clears throat> she asks the world for it. She goes on podcasts, asks the podcast for it. 
poof, you know, and it happens. Hence the reason her TV show at the moment, My Mum, Your Dad, came as a manifestation on the Diary of a CEO podcast, you know. So we, we both do this quite a lot, but I'd asked for a celebrity client. I'd asked for a TV show, which I got. And, you know, I asked for a kind of enough money to, to keep me bouncing along. So I got all these things. The TV show was really good. It was called, uh, the original one was called The Hair Man, and then one was called The Stylistic. And it was on the Discovery Health Channel, which was okay. You know, it was, it was a pretty good TV show. I then owned the production company that made it. So I was a TV producer as well, you know, so I was having a great old time, but um, <clears throat> I just couldn't crack the getting a brand together. And that, there was two or three reasons for that. One is that I would go to Boots and Superdrug and say, you know, I'm on TV, I've got famous clients. I want to launch a range of shampoos and stuff like that. And they'd say, okay, who is Michael Douglas? And what problem is he solving for women? You know, and I would go like, yeah, who is Michael Douglas? Like, I'm the cheeky chappy from the north, you know, and I will make your hair look great. And he's like, yeah, but we've got Lee Stafford, you know. He's the <laughs> cheeky chappy from Essex and he makes people's hair look great. I'm like, okay, I'm the salon at home. You know, you get salon quality hair at home. It's like, Charles Worthington does that. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, well, I'm Mr. Frizz. You know, I'll get rid of Frizz. It's like oh, John Frizz. Oh, sorry, Fries. John Frizz. Like, that space. <laughs> and then I was like, yes, who am I? You know, so I just let go of the whole thing because I thought until I can launch a genuine solution to a problem, largely for women, but you know, it could be for guys as well. But I thought there's no point in doing this. There's no point in putting soap in a bottle and selling it to people. Mm. Everybody does that, you know. So I just sat on the back burner for years, tried to get a kind of decent TV career off the ground. You know, my dream was to make a hair programme that a bald man would find entertaining. You know, it had to transcend hair, basically. So if you think about Top Gear, you don't have mm. to like cars to enjoy yes. Top Gear. Just these three blokes sticking about. And I thought, we need to make a problem out. Nobody wants to make a programme about hair. No broadcaster wants to do that, you know. I remember when Jamie Oliver left BBC Two, we went to pitch there. And we had this great show reel and everything. We sat in this room and they said, okay, we really like you, Michael. And we think you'd be great on BBC Two. What can you cook? I was like, what? You're going to cook something, right? I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do people's hair. And they were like, oh, no, 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 nobody wants to see that. And then I was like, well, I don't cook. And they were like, can you garden? Could you be a gardener? I was like, no, no, it's good. You know, it's like, oh, nobody wants hair on TV, you know. So I had to come to terms with that a bit. So anyway, in the end, <clears throat> I ended up on the one show doing this thing called The Street Barber where I cut people's hair in the street. And then everybody used to say, you're the guy who does hair anywhere. And I used to think, yeah. not really, you know, because I had to find a plug socket. You never <laughs> see that on the camera. You know, we used to like nip into the car phone warehouse and say, can we borrow a plug socket, do their hair and then put them back on screen? Have you got but a subsidiary thing... business and extension needs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were 30 metres of extension cable and pretending we were doing hair in the streets. Um and then the other thing is that because that program on the one show was four minutes long, people thought I could do people's hair really quick. Mm. So they'd say, you're the guy who can do hair anywhere and you can do it really quick. And then I just used to think, I wish I could do people's hair anywhere. Like no plug socket, no water. Wouldn't it be great if people could do that to their hair? And then the like the penny dropped, you know. And, and when they said, who is Michael Douglas? And I was like, Michael Douglas who is the person who does hair anywhere. That's who he is. And every retailer was like, that is a bloody great idea. Imagine if you could do anything to your hair anywhere in under 10 minutes without a plug socket, without water. And the idea was born, you know. So we found an industrial engineer, an electrical designer, and we made a prototype for a cordless styling tool and some dry styling products. And it was called Your Hair Anywhere. And um, every everybody bought into it. It was, it was great. 
And, you know, on the surface of it, it sounds just like a capitalistic kind of money-making idea, you know. And, and of course, there is that in it as well. But I was genuinely looking for a solution for a problem for people mm. that nobody else was offering. You know, that, that was what I was waiting for it to come round, and it, and it did. And whenever I say that to somebody, imagine you can make your hair look really good in 10 minutes now in a bathroom somewhere before you go somewhere or you could make you know you could top up your style or re-straighten your hair or whatever and I thought well, yes it's a great idea um and I'm I watched this documentary which I would recommend everybody watch called The Kid Stays in the Picture oh. and it's a documentary about a movie producer called Bobby Evans who was a, a ladies clothing salesman back in the 50s who ended up the head of Paramount Pictures in Hollywood, yeah. I mean, it's just a fucking nuts story. And he made The Godfather, Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, Paramount was the biggest movie studio in Hollywood once he'd finished with it. And it was the worst once he got hold of it. And it's just a brilliant story, but he narrates his own life story. It's called The Kid Stays in the Picture. It's hilarious, really, because who does that? You know, like somebody might make a documentary about your life one day, but it shouldn't be you. But he does it himself. It's like, this is my life, you know. And the opening bit of his of his documentary is there are three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the truth. And none of them are a lie. This is mine. Oh. And it's like, oh. And all of a sudden my brain went, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, your truth of last night, even if we were in the same room, would not be the same as my truth. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the actual truth of what really happened. You know, like... Mm -hmm. Like, oh my god you know like anyway there's a bit in it where they're going to shut paramount pictures the head of paramount pictures this company called gulf and western decides they're going to get rid of paramount it's too much money and too much hassle and they won't let him in the boardroom to pitch to save paramount pictures so he makes a video that he begs the board the chairman to show in the boardroom to save paramount pictures and they show the video and they save paramount pictures and i was like I'm going to make a video and send it to all the investors that I could possibly send it to. Instead of a PDF, which is what everybody sends, like yeah. a pitch deck, I thought one thing I'm good at is communicating with people and talking. I've been talking down the lens of a camera for 20 years. I'm going to make a video where I pitch <laughs> the idea of my life and why they would be crazy not to invest, you know. And I sh it got shown to one person and he put in 1.2 million quid within four weeks. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> that is the power of a good video yeah <laughs> so yeah it was it was brilliant but when everyone says how did you do that and it's like watch the kid stays in the picture that film I, I stole so much from that film and i applied it to my life and bang so um so yeah it's quite it's quite weird and it's quite weird when someone says i'm gonna give you you know it was 1.325 we raised in the end and he said um i'm gonna give you this money and i'd like you to times 10 times 20 in the next five to ten years you go okay all right let's do that it was it, terrifying well i was gonna say and also that like it hasn't necessarily been plainest sailing no so your hair anyway doesn't exist we, we well, couldn't launch it. that was kind of i was like <laughs> what have i missed <laughs> Where is it? so the price of aluminium went up by 480 percent. the price of batteries went up by about a thousand percent um, manufacturing in China shut down because of COVID. Um, everything fell apart. The moment the money came in the bank, we realised that we couldn't do what we promised we would do. Um, and it's too late at that point. 
it's quite, it's quite weird, but you just think, I have to go back to my investors and say, remember all that thing I promised you in that great video that I made? Here's a video where I'm now going to tell you that we can't do that anymore and I'm going to have to think of something else, you know. And it's, it's very weird, but I, this is around the time that I'd realized that you have to walk straight into the eye of the storm in order to find the answer. So I thought, we walk straight into the eye of the storm, you know. And what's very interesting is what you realize is that most businesses that raise money end up making all their money as a completely different business than the one they thought. <laughs> and everybody knows this. And uh, and the investor... No one tells you. <laughs> yeah, nobody tells you this. The investor basically said, it's all right. I invested in you, not the idea. Um, go, go fill your boots, tell us what you want to do. And I was like, really? It was as easy as that. Like, oh, I was about to kill myself. Um, so, um, so yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So what I'd learned through now speaking to thousands and thousands of people on Instagram, um, was like a massive focus group to say, what do you want? You know, I, I'm in a, I'm in a position to kind of give you something, um, cause I've got money, I've got a team, um, and I've got the, the ability, what do you want? You know, and everybody wanted a hairdryer as good as Dyson, but not as expensive. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, it was just thousands of people saying, I want something as good as that, but not half the price. I was like, great, let's get to work, see what we can do. Because also what I wanted was that, because I didn't, re- I don't like the Dyson Supersonic particularly. I know it's a good hairdryer and loads of people love it, so I'm not slagging it off. It just wasn't for me. I hated mm. the shape of it. Mm. Didn't like the balance of it either. I like a snout on a hairdryer because I always rest hair over the snout mm-hmm. as you blow dry hair. You know, I didn't think it was massively consumer friendly and it was ludicrously expensive for a multi-billion dollar company to slightly stiff the hairdressing industry. I mean, I feel like they've exploited the hair industry in in the most ridiculous way. For hairdressers to lap up this idea that there's a 330-pound hairdryer that mm. blows hot air that somehow everybody should be buying, I just feel like Dyson's nothing to do with the hairdressing industry. He's the vacuum cleaner guy, for God's sake. Mm. Why are you lining his pockets with billions of pounds when there's loads of people supporting this industry there's loads of head creative hairdressers that could bring out brands that, that, that would feed back into the industry. It's like, it just seems criminal, this guy's coming along and making so much bloody money. Um, anyway, that's a slightly, slightly different story, but I thought, okay, let's let's do that. So we launched the MD London Blow, and um, I thought Blow was quite a fun name for it, you know, because it's got kind of slightly cheeky connotations, and it... it I, I quite like Elon Musk, and I like a lot of the things he says, and he always says he loves descriptive branding, so... You call your brand what it is, you know. You don't you don't call it something else. I love yeah. the and I thought, oh, this thing blows. Let's call it blow, you know. So I love that. Obviously, calling something Michael Douglas is confusing. So I'd always have this name of MD London. Um, should be called MD the North or something like that, really, because mm-hmm. um, I'm from the North. But um, but yeah, you know, and it was just once I found this hairdryer and we designed it, reskinned it, and made it the way I wanted it to make it. And then I used it. I was like, fuck, this is the best hairdryer I've ever used. Like, I even love this fucking thing, you know. So I was I was completely in, you know, I was all in. So, you know, we we launched that about, it's only been a year, the 19th yeah. of October, last year we launched it. And it's been... coming up. Yeah, yeah. It's been the most enjoyable, terrifying, funny, you know, weird uh, ride of, of my life. And taking a million odd pounds off people because what what an investor does which is very interesting is they give you most of the money but not all of it and you have to raise all of the money 
Mm-hmm. So he'll say, he'll say, you know, you'll you need one point four million, let's say. And he said, I'll give you a million of it. You need to go and find the other four hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no deal. Mm-hmm. So you have to go out there, and he, he says, friends and family, you know. I say he. There's plenty of female um, um, investors out there, um, and um, he says you you have to go out there and, and find the other money from friends and family, because once you've got friends and family in your business, you know there's a lot at stake, right? You yeah, know, because yeah, yeah. it's their money you've taken. You know, so they they do that they do that thing very interestingly. I never really thought about that, but they sell it to you as like, look, you're gonna make millions and millions of pounds. So why don't you offer it to your friends and family? Because they will thank you for it. And you think, oh, yeah, great, let's do that. You know, And then you realise, oh, my God, I've got to make this money back for my friend who's put 100 grand of his life savings into something. All the so, emotional stakeholders now. Yeah, like, fuck, I never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious, you know. So that's that's where we are. And um, I had to just not think about the money too much. You know, I've never had a million pounds in my bank account. And then one day I did, and... It's not yours, it's the business's, and you have to multiply it, you know. It's but like, did you screenshot it? But did you screenshot yes, your... Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yes. We had the app, and I'm like, ka-chink. We had 1.37 <laughs> million or something in the bank. I thought, I'm going to send that to me, brother, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But it's... There's plenty... What I realised is that I know lots of people who've tried to raise money for businesses and have bailed, mm. and I think you were offered the money why did you bail you know and what i realized when they offer you the money and you walk out the room you you kind of think i'm out of my depth i shouldn't do this um but i thought you know what fuck that like this is the greatest opportunity of my life and i'm right to be scared you know embrace the fear you know all that kind of stuff and i stopped thinking about it as money just started thinking about it as a measurement of opportunity you know well it's like in that second isn't it it goes from being something intangible and uh, like an idea uh, oh my god this could happen to all of a sudden in that second once you've got the money I'm guessing that it goes from being that to being something completely different that takes on a completely different size shape weight form texture the lot like it just something that has been something you were so excited about turns to terror I'm guessing yeah yeah, it's interesting. When, when we were on the production company and we used to go to the BBC to try and get programmes made, you know, we, we'd have an idea and we'd pitch the idea and the idea would go in. And at that moment, you're at your happiest mm. because this thing might get commissioned and it's a great idea. And me and my mate Andy, who makes all my content here with me, we work together now and we make we have such a great time making that content. It's brilliant because not only do we produce it, but we broadcast it. And then we watch the viewing figures come in and then you see the sales as a result of the viewing figures, you know. So the whole thing's all ours and in our control and we can broadcast what we like. So something great about that. But we used to kind of laugh. We'd we'd put the pitch in, we'd go for a drink and say, like, this is the best bit because it's all possibility at this bit. And often the worst thing that can happen is that they were to say yes because then you'd have to fucking make it, you know? Like, so this window of where it's just possibilities is so great. And I just think, wouldn't it be great if this goes on for three or four days? We don't hear anything for three or four days. We're just in the possibilities realm, you know? Yeah. Um, and the worst thing is when they say, yeah, let's do this. And you think, oh my God, we've oh. now got to make something and do all the things we promised on the page, you know? So yeah, there's, there's something in 
once you're given the opportunity, the fear of it is wow, massive. Based on, we've, we've hurtled through our time together, but I'm just yeah. going to ask you, based on everything that you know now, what is the advice that you, what is the lesson that you've learned the most that sort of has cropped up? And it's, you know, there are lessons that you have to learn more than once. Yes. It has to keep happening so that you finally learn the lesson. What's been your Yes, lesson? yes. Do you know what? I think I think I'll, I think patience is probably the biggest one I, I, I've got is that I am 50 now and I have never been happier. Um I've never felt more on the precipice, you know, like that I've got to step off almost every day, you know, but the excitement in stepping off is amazing. And you know, a lot of me feels a bit sad that I didn't that this didn't happen when I was 30 or something like that. Yeah. But um, I'm so glad it happened now and it required, what's it required? You know, 35 years of work to get here. But that's the reason I'm happy, really, is that I don't think I would have been happy at 30. I would have been impatient and angry and snappy and all sorts of stuff. The reason it's good now is because I am here now, you know. Yeah. So I do believe, really, that if you can... You know, tell the truth as much as possible. Listen to your conscience. Uh, manifest some stuff. Everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Mm. And uh, I, I, I'm I'm delighted to be fifty, and I'm delighted to be in this space. You know, and it, it most of it's come as a result of like surrendering to reality. You know, yeah. to, to to life. You know, and allowing it to play out. You know, um. So yeah, I, I I think I think patience, like, and and trying to listen to your conscience properly, because mm -hmm. you know? this idea that hard work pays off. I look at my mum; she worked hard her whole life and was so unrewarded for it because she was working so hard at the wrong thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I can see that now. Maybe she can, you know. And um, it's not obvious where you should be working hard, but it's not necessarily at work. It's actually you, you know, it's you that should be working hard on relationships and, and your life and your interests and pushing yourself all the time. You know, there's that whole thing like... Yeah, yeah. Um, and that idea of, you know, that going back to that Baz Luhrmann song, doing something every day that scares you, you know, just slightly being on the edge of fear a lot yeah. is a brilliant place to be. I can't remember, but David Bowie was talking about, about that recently in, a, in something that popped up on Instagram, which was, you know, absolutely you should be slightly confused about what you're doing. Like a, an imposter syndrome, like, is the place. You should feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing. You know, when people say I suffer with imposter syndrome, I always think, well, you're in the right place. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what you should feel like. I don't really know what I'm doing. Oh, great. <laughs> You'll soon work it out yeah. and then feel it again and then feel it again and feel it again, you know. Yeah. Um, so sorry, it's a lot of long convoluted answer because it's probably a mixture of all those things. But um, patience and fear, you know, it's it's a great place to to be at least once or twice a day. Yeah, it's a mixture of things. And it's also, I guess, as well, the thing I was taking from that was trusting the process. Yeah got to have faith you know mm. um that there and that, that's the thing about surrendering i think also is that you surrender to to, to what's going to happen 
which means letting go of control, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that I did find about this business is that I've got four, three, two, two direct partners that are shareholders and they're in it with me. And they, they don't, they're not directed by me at all. They are in this business and they're making it work and just will let them do their thing. Mm. I'm not controlling at all. And they'll make mistakes and fuck things up and so will I. And then, you know, we'll learn something from that and not do it again. But yeah. it's, it's a joy letting go of them um, as well. You know, sorry, I'm slightly no, it's drifted off there. But, I'm, you know, there's ideas coming all the time about this whole idea of letting go of control. Yeah, like no, said, I love it. I, I've it. taken so much from this conversation. I, well, first of all, I'll be watching stuts and uh kids stays in the picture i'll definitely but that but honestly this has been really wonderful thank you so oh, much so much wisdom pleasure and uh your podcast is great and it's a great honor to be on so thank, thanks so much and um having the opportunity to explore your mind like this as well is very helpful i mean this is therapy in a way isn't it so people are asking you questions about yourself you're thinking oh yeah i never really thought about that but now i will think about it you know um, so thank you very much indeed for, uh, for oh, having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, listen, I'm obviously going to put the links to you and to the MD London Blow in the show notes. And for anyone who hasn't already seen on Instagram, I uh, Michael very kindly gave me one. My God, I've got the camo green. And oh, I it's it's now my dryer of choice. Oh, great. Great. Genuinely, we- I'm just <clears throat> obsessed with it. And we've got some accessories that are going to come out that can attach to the end of the hairdryer and do really, really nice things. I tested one yesterday we've just got, and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. So there's other things going to come with the dryer to kind of broaden it to, um, its uh, abilities, you know. It's good. But thank I'm you. I'm excited. And I know it's just launched in blush, so I'm sure it, that it's I'm sure it's flying off the shelves at the moment. It's very well, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting that just before, before we go, that like, the, the, when we launched this business, it didn't do very well initially, despite having Davina behind it and all sorts of things. But it was a very much a, a, a trust the process thing. I just kept thinking, OK, let's just see what happens, see what happens. And it took a month or two for things to gather speed and then Black Friday and Christmas and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, it was just a, 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 if anybody out there, I know there's lots of people in the beauty world that listen to this podcast that have launched businesses recently that might find, Jesus, it's not gone like I thought it would. It never does. Like, whew, sit tight. Do you know what I've learned as well? There's a perception lag or there's a reality lag. Yeah. So some people will engage with you via your Instagram feed. So if you've just posted a, a sort of a retrospective, oh, when I went to, I don't know, the Serpentine Gallery or something, the next time they speak to you, they'll talk to you about something that you did two years ago. Or if somebody listened last yeah. to your podcast three years ago, that's where they left you. So there's yeah. these time lags and it and yeah. you, you're living your experience. So you think everyone's going to be where you are. Everyone is up to a decade behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, or when they is. last left you, which I think is mm. quite useful to remember sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Bloody hell. Yeah. I know. Well, I'm, I'm sure we shall continue this in person and have yes. more deep and meaningful. I would like that very much. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. Anytime you want your hair done or anything like that, just give us a shout. We're always well, here. And, you've uh, done it I, now. I, Emma loves it. Yeah, yeah, honestly, anytime, anytime. Oh, pleasure. Well, thank you so much. The links to you, MD London Blow, and everything else will be in the show notes. But Michael Douglas, what an absolute joy. Thank you so much. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, 
then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.